Welcome to the School Leaders Podcast. My name is Dr. Gastrit Harrigan, the podcast for current and emerging school leaders, those who support and supervise them. You will hear from passionate educational leaders who are transforming their schools, communities, and creating positive outcomes for students. I will also share my personal reflections and tips from over 15 years as a school leader. Together, we will talk about how to level up our schools and leadership practices. All right, everybody, welcome to the School Leaders Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Gashit Harrigan. Today, I have a good friend of mine uh, for many years, Jackson South. Uh, we started in the system together, uh, and he has uh, worked and uh, doing some exciting things. Wanted to bring him on to share some of his leadership experiences that he has had both within the school system and out of the school system. So again, um, let's welcome uh, Jackson South. Jackson, tell us a little hey, bit hey. about yourself. Oh, hey, Gastrid. Thanks for having me today. Uh, gosh, a little bit about me. I think uh, we go back almost 20 years now, if you think about it. Uh, 17 years of leading schools, uh, over 22 years of, of being in schools. Um, and uh, somewhere around there, you and I ran into each other early in, early in, that, uh, in the beginning days. Uh, so yeah, it's just great to be here. I started out in the district public school system. So uh, and uh, transition to charter schools. And, and then after that, now I am sitting in Invo Healthcare, supporting their education division and, um, you know, doing some really, really great things around mental health and behavioral health supports for school districts. So still involved in schools, but just in a little different capacity these days. Uh, absolutely. Yes. You're doing some awesome stuff, um, both when you were a principal and now um, using those leadership skills to support school around mental health. Before we jump into that, um, you know, most of my listeners are school-based leaders, whether they are emerging leaders, principals, yeah. or even um, assistant principal. Just share some of your uh, some of the lessons, your top three or top five Ooh. lessons you've learned as a principal um, leading schools these past yeah. seventeen plus years. Oh my gosh, lessons learned. <laughs> That's daily, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, indeed. So I think the first lesson is you need to go home every day and be a very reflective practitioner. I think that's that's big, especially those early years, but just always really uh, just as you end your day, think about your day. You know, I used to always think about the conversations that I would have and I'm like, ah, oh, I could have did that better. Or I could have said that better. or Yeah, that didn't really go the way I wanted it to go. Maybe I should have, you know, taken this approach you know, and getting to know your different personalities. Uh, as a school building leader, it's not okay to just, you know, connect with the people that are more like you, right? That's easy. It's a little more challenging to connect with, with those other individuals that are kind of like opposite of you, opposite thinking, um, just opposite personalities. And, but those people are, are vital to your campus and, and you have to be able to connect, motivate, encourage, and lead them too. So I, I'd say, you know, sometimes getting out of that comfort zone and, and really becoming that reflective practitioner going through, that's one major thing. Um, I'd say it's another one. Uh, you and I spoke about this a long time ago, but just listening to your people, um, especially as a young leader, you know, sometimes we want to try to make a name for ourselves, right? And we want to, oh yeah, you know, this is my opportunity. I got to do big things. Eh, not so much. You know, I think you just kind of get in there, uh, listen to your team, listen to what's happening, 
and try not to do too much. Just really, really just pay attention to, to what's happening on your campus. Knock out those big fire items. I mean, if you're thinking of safety, try to do safety, you know, safety first. Everyone is very supportive of safety, especially as a new leader. That's an easy win. And it's something that everyone can see. So if you want to be seen, that's a great way to kind of get that going. But, you know, don't go in there and change all your curriculum and instructional deliveries and, you know, all the methodologies that's happening on campus right now currently. Yeah, it might not be the best, but collaborate, collaborate with your team facilitate that vision. So I think that's, those are some key things as a young leader. You know, it's interesting you say that because oftentimes as new leaders, you come in, you're excited and you want to go ahead and change everything. And what you just said is key, uh, you know, listening to your people, building um, those relationships, making connection, yep. but definitely you should do more listening than talking uh, uh, your first, your first few years on the job, just trying to listen to your people. You are very right. And you said also be the reflective uh, educator. Oftentimes, we don't think about that. Um, truly, the growth happens, I, I like to think, when we reflect um, to improve in our various practices and things of that nature. That's awesome. What, what are some other um, keys and lessons you have for us? I'm a big, big leadership reader. And, uh, you know, John Maxwell is my favorite. I, I know you and I have talked about that, too, in the past. Uh, Maxwell is definitely my favorite. 360 Degree Leader is one of the best books you can read, I think, as a leader. Um, but 15 Laws of Growth is also, you know, I'm also a Maxwell certified trainer. And 15 Laws of Growth is something that, you know, you can challenge your teachers with. You can challenge just everyone in your building with. There was a time in one of my schools where there's a whole rubber band effect where you're stretching yourself. You're always stretching yourself to that breaking point. You know, um, how far can you stretch that rubber band until it pops? And the idea is to not let it pop. The idea is to keep stretching it and stretching it and stretching it. And that's the, um, on one of my campuses, uh, I was given a bunch of rubber bands after after this training with my team. And I think, uh, you know, as a leader, that's always what you're trying to do. You're trying to grow yourself. You're trying to grow your people, you know, just so we can get better every single day for kids. All right. And it's funny you said that because I'm also, like you mentioned, a, a huge John Maxwell, uh, Maxwell uh, fan, read most of his book. But you're correct. The 360 degree leader being, you know, looking at your, yourself 360 and looking for areas to improve, to grow. And oftentimes, I think in the fast paced principalship uh, level, we often don't take time to reflect, right? Because you, you are going from one fire to another, especially right now um, in the polarized uh, and, and, and pressure cooker uh, time we are in, oftentimes principals are moving from one thing to another. And to all of you principals, or even assistant principals that are listening, you need to take the time to really reflect, take the time to read, take the time to really uh, work on yourself to improve yourself. Because like you mentioned, reading um, articles or going to conferences become very important. But let me ask you this, how do you prioritize knowing that uh, the job of the principalship, and I know you just left the principalship uh, yeah. not too long ago. Uh, what, how do you make time for reading and self-reflection yeah. and growth? Well, I, I, I really don't sleep. But before I jump into that, um, there's a great book out there. It's an old book. So a lot of not a lot of folks, it gets overlooked a lot of times, but it's a great book on reflective, of becoming a reflective practitioner, what it really means. It's by Donald Schoen. It's literally called The Reflective Practitioner. And it, it was in the 80s. This was written in the 80s. And it's a book that I always have picked up. Um, and there's some really good things in there, but as far as, uh, yeah, as far as finding that time to read, um, 
it's usually late night with the light by your bed, you know? And, and I, that was, that's probably the main way that I, uh, number one way that I, I would read would be a little bit before I went to bed. But honestly, every time I traveled, when I was traveling to a conference, when I was traveling to, um, you know, when I was doing the turnaround work uh, for the past 10 years, uh, traveling to different states and supporting schools on those flights, I would knock out a book or two, a flight there and back. And and that was really, really, instead of sleeping on the plane or, or listening right. to music, I'm reading, I'm reading the book. I did have some colleagues that, that liked the audio. Um, they put the audio books on for their drives. So that early morning drive to work or, or after school, um, they found that to be a really good way. I'm, I'm more of a, I read with a highlighter. So, I, you know, the audio books is not my thing. I really like to go back. A lot of times I'll tab pages. I'll use it in PDs. So I'm, I'm a more active reader than than. You know, it's it's fun you say that because um, I, I'm like you too. I'm more I, I like to fill the book, um, yeah. but to to try to keep up with my reading because like you uh, like you mentioned, uh, it, it's sometime the day is so pressed when you get home you you just want to crash. So uh, now that I have a, almost an hour, forty five to an hour, um, uh, I'm I'm driving to and from school. Uh, I often been I have been putting in the audio book and just trying to be intentional. I think the key thing is whether it is you're an audio person, uh, you're putting it on, on you listening to it, uh, like you're listening to a podcast, whether you are reading, physically got to touch the book like me and, Jack, me and, me and Jack, Jackson. The key thing is to be intentional about it and making hey. sure that it is part of what you do on the day mm-hmm. base, whether it is when you're heading out to conference, whatever it is, just being intentional on, on growing yourself and improving. I'm telling you, some of the best years, I think, I think I was, you know, when I look back, the more reading, I I just kind of reflect on, okay, the time periods of my life where I did the most reading, I feel like I was a better leader. I was a better leader for my teams. I was a better leader for my kids, my families. So I don't know. I I just think it does keep you kind of fresh and, and in that moment. And, you know, Uh, A lot of it is subconscious. It's just something that's recent. You just read about a situation or story. Now you're presented with one and and there's a best practice to that. And it's just kind of kind of stays at the top. You know, it stays at the top of your memory or I don't know. I just I really, you know, look back and say, hmm, probably should read even more than what I did back then, you know? Absolutely. Reading is, uh, as they like to say, reading is paramount. Reflecting on your 17 years of experience as a school leader, as a principal, you know, uh, reflect back. If there's one challenge, if you, you know, you face that was really huge, uh, challenging, uh, share that. And what, what are one or two things you glean from that now that you are Gosh. on the other side supporting leaders? So, so, you know, a little bit, I guess on the flip side of, you know, I just said as a, as a new principal, you know, kind of take it slow. Don't go too crazy with, with big ideas, you know, early on, try to build the team, build the relationships, bring people in through collaborative conversations and, and facilitate the vision. Whenever I went into turnaround work, it, there's an immediate need to flip this school quickly, right? Time is, is not on your side. It's actually against you because there needs to be immediate results. So I, I look back to over 10 years of, of supporting, you know, different, different communities and, and states, um, you know, like Eastside Chicago, or I'm sorry, Eastside Indianapolis, Southside Chicago, um, you know, the Arlington area of Jacksonville, East Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and, I, and I look back to the moments of like Southside Chicago, for example, 
we had to get in there and we had to change everything. Uh, and, you know, there was a 17% graduation rate at this school. And at the end of those three years, we were at 76%. We had, we, we hired a a principal. Actually, we went through several principals, uh, but we finally found the one, right? We found the one and, you know, she was fabulous from the moment she walked in there. You could tell she was the leader and it was great. It was great to turn that over. But, you know, one of those lessons learned is like in those environments, you have to work quickly. You have to work quickly with your conversations, with your relationships. You have to do more than just your staff. Um, you know, I learned very quickly in that turnaround work that I had to win the kids too. Like that was important. Like you have to lay it all on the line in those types of situations. It, it Transparency is huge. So telling them who I am, where I came from, who, you know, Everything that I am as a leader, as a person, was how you have to connect. I had to pull these kids in. You know, um, they had to see me as someone different than, you know, someone before them that came before me. Um, you know, the, the the greeting every single kid at the front door of the school, like super important. You know, understanding the different cultures of the campus, having those conversations in the hallways. And I mean, huge, huge to a turnaround project. So you know, that was probably some of the most challenging work that I've done over the years and um, some of the most rewarding. Absolutely. Like you just said, in those turnaround work, you, you want to come in. But it, it's key that even in the turnaround, that where you have a quick time relationship, like you just said, is still important. Um, being present at your campus is still important. Greeting kids, um, whether it is fist, fist bump, whatever it is that you're doing to build those mm-hmm. relationships with staff, with students. Um, you know, setting, like you just said, setting in the curriculum work in there to make sure that kids are learning, uh, really scaling up, right? Uh, That data-driven instruction becomes key to make sure you're looking at the data and then uh, making those Mm -hmm. instructional shifts to to improve the core instruction. So it's it's very important whether you do it slow or fast in the turnaround school, that's key. Thank you for sharing that. In the past year or so, uh, you've transitioned from being a principal to senior director of strategic partnership. Uh, tell mm-hmm. us about why you left the principalship a little bit and, and a little bit about your new job. It, it was just an opportunity, really. Um, you know, it, it was a, more of a financial decision than anything else. It was, uh, uh, you know, an offer basically that I just couldn't refuse. And it was, a, it was still an opportunity to kind of work with teams, work in schools um, and do what's good for kids, you know? So, there's a, a, you know, a, a, a serious need for mental health support in our country. I think we can all agree there. Um, so the initial conversation around, hey, we need mental health support. Okay, is great. It's well received. And then, but then it comes down to, okay, are we going to really pay for it? Are we going to really, you know, do what it takes at the district or school levels um, to support the initiative? It's different. I mean, you, you have outsiders coming in and I say outsiders, these folks are clinicians, they're not educators. So that's kind of where I add value to, to you know, Invo Healthcare is, is being an educator, being an educator that has sat in the chair, that has ran, you know, schools and multiple programs, et cetera, and understanding how this dynamic has to, has to gel. It has to fit. It can't be a clinic. It's a school, but it's a school that desperately needs true therapists to help these kids. 
you know, oftentimes we see the social worker approach and you know what? Social workers are great and there is a need for that. But the idea of the social worker setting families up with resources in the community, great, but it's not truly providing the therapy on an ongoing, consistent basis that our therapists can do inside the schools. We don't bill insurance. We literally are working as like hired vendors, if you will, for the districts. And and we're putting a person on the ground in your school, uh, working with your teams, guidance counselors, et cetera. So, you know, that transition was was kind of easy because, you know, I'm still working in an environment of schools. I'm still talking, you know, to superintendents, to area directors, you know, charter CEOs, et cetera, and um, even private schools. I guess the shift wasn't too hard, but it's certainly different. It's certainly different. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you talked about mental health and, and the work, the new work now you're doing, and you are correct, uh, whether it's in my school, trying to be a trauma sensitive school and trying to address students' mental health across the state and across the nation. The, the, we, we, you know, the pandemic, I think, has accelerated it, but ultimately we, we have a, a mental health issue. So talk to me about you know the specific program you 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 are referring to that 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 can support sure. schools and districts, and what are some of the outcomes? We know we need it. We know yes. that, uh, but what are some of the outcomes so far? The program you have seen, how has it improved the schools and yep. the students you work with? Well, I think you just you just hit the nail on the head. Outcomes. We're probably the only, and I'm I'm saying this, and I, and I implore you to do research because I've been doing research and I can't find another company that's doing what we're doing. You know, we've been doing this pre-pandemic over six years now, and the data outcomes is what it's all about. We have Clemson University that's uh, validating data. They've done it in the past for us. We're looking to to do that again here in the future. Um, Now that we're coming out of uh, the pandemic, we want them to hopefully validate some of our new data as we're collecting it right now. But uh, some of the things that we're doing that's different than anyone else out there is, you know, we have two specific models that I am kind of uh, in charge of of putting out there into school districts. And the first one is upskilling or training of staff. That one's easy, uh, you know, but it's different than your traditional PD. It's, uh, I mean, sure, you're going to get about 15 hours of a, you know, face-to-face interaction. That's pretty typical. But where we separate ourselves from anyone else out there is now, after that, is the application phase, right? Oftentimes, teachers are left to go back um, to their classrooms and refer to their notes or refer to maybe an activity they did and try to implore those strategies or skills that they just learned. Um, And that's where we're not going to let them just do that. We're going to put a board certified behavioral analyst, analyst, a BCBA, which is basically, you know, I've learned so much on this side. I mean, they're basically doctors of behavior. Like these guys, they know they, a kid does this and they're like, Oh, it's because of that. And anyway, so we're going to put a BCBA on the ground in your school, working one-on-one with those same group of teachers, and I say teachers, but it's it's really uh, paraprofessionals, special ed teams, uh, your deans, your behavior specialists, those, your instructional aides, the people that are, call- that are called to the calls, right? Mm-hmm. That we have an unruly disruptive situation and here we go. And, and oftentimes it's young APs, it's young, it's young, you know, uh, and even older. I mean, it, it kind of fits for everyone just to kind of right. bring those, those, you know, we're upskilling is really the goal. But, uh, but yeah, those teams up to 15 people for a semester. So our BCBA is there. 
very strategic, working with them, bouncing ideas and seeing them work with, you know, Sarah, seeing them work with Tony and, and, and giving them the feedback in the moment, uh, which is huge. Now they're there, it's about an hour, you know, and then they kind of move on to the next person and there's a lot going on, but that one is the training part. And, and I find that a lot of charters, a lot of charters really like this. Baltimore city schools have signed on and we're taking on all of their paraprofessionals in Baltimore and, uh, upskilling them and getting them ready, uh, to answer the call. And, um, you know, pretty awesome stuff. That's it, one side. Right. It's, it's, it's it, you are correct. Um, it starts with upscaling the training, the PD that we provide. Yep. Uh, really, I like to say core, but oftentimes, like you just said, we forget about the paraprofessionals, the behavior techs, um, yeah. the people who support. So you, you are correct. It is starting to train the teachers. <laughs> and I like the fact that be, beside training the teachers, the paras, the, uh, the paraprofessionals and, and, the, and behavior techs, but also having a clinician working alongside mm-hmm. administration, alongside the support team, whatever that structure is, the support team to ensure the students receiving the proper, the right um, inter- uh, behavior interventions to or exactly. mental health interventions, whatever uh, the need of that child is. And I think, I think that is very critical. Um, well, let me so- jump in and say all the intangibles that happen, right? I mean, how many times have you, Gastrid, um, uh, uh, someone would bring a kid to you? And now, you know, they have to sit in your office to cool off or whatever it may be. Correct. Right. Well, guess what happens? You can't leave your office now. And now you're supervising a kid. You know what I mean? Um, you think about how often that happens. And you're the principal. Think about how, that, how oft, often that happens to your assistant principals, to your guidance counselors. Right. Now they're now they're tied up. They can't do what they need to do. Another call comes out. I'm sorry. I got I got somebody sitting here. I can't go. Yeah. So, you know, those, those intangible pieces and then think about, think of it this way, you know, as an employee, I mean, as a, whether you're a principal, whether you're an assistant principal, instructional coach, custodian, you want to feel valued, right? You want to feel like my organization, you know, values me, invests in me so that I can be better for my organization. And oftentimes that's going to lead to, you know, my willingness to, to stay, to come back next year, right? Um, we see major turnover in the education industry. And it's always around the, the idea of, you know, either I don't feel valued, right? I, 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 you know, the culture's off. I don't feel valued here and I want to go try to do something else or, you know, or there's a life situation that happens, but most of the time it has to do with feeling valued. And, um, what a best, what a better way to invest in your people that you're upskilling them. You're providing them their own behavioral coach in situations that, you know, you might have a young teacher that's in there just, man, and, and just a lot of behaviors and not really able to deliver any instruction. And they're spending more time redirecting than they are teaching. And you talked about outcomes. I can tell you this right now in Polk County, we had a situation where um, a teacher was only able to teach, get this, Gastrid, this is middle school, only able to teach three to six minutes on average for her wow. period, three to six wow. minutes. And I mean, we, we obviously sat in there and, 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 you know, for over a week and we were able to determine that. Um, and then after having us for a semester, she increased her ability to teach by using the strategies that our BCBA was providing to 40. It was 44 to 47 minutes was the window that she increased it to still not a full period, 
still not a full period, but in 18 weeks, 18 weeks. That's significant weeks, gains. Right? Three to six to 44 to 47. I mean, that is tremendous. Um, she's able to actually teach now. There's actually learning going to happen in that classroom now. Um, is there still improvement? Yes, there's room to improve. But as long as that teacher remains consistent over time, she will be able to begin to teach bell to bell. And that's kind of what we want, right? So it takes time. It takes time. It's not a magic pill, but it's certainly, certainly a way to go if you want to invest in your people. And it's key, like you just said, you just you you just summarize it properly. It's at the end of the day, it's all about student learning. It's all about student uh, improvement, student achievement, and 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 I think you, it's important working with that individual teacher, increasing uh, the amount of time she's able to teach and deliver instructions will improve the outcome. Uh, for students. So to all the school leaders and, and principals and district leaders in particular that are listening, it's important that that, that you look into uh, what Jackson is sharing and, and see how does, how can they come alongside your district, come alongside your principals to really uh, put systems and procedures and upscale and train your people to ensure that we deliver on our core promise, which is a quality education for yeah. every child. So, and, that, and mm-hmm. as far as mental health is concerned, you know, I don't mean to cut you off there, but it's, you know, that, that's, that the training part is really focused on, you know, working with the teachers or with the staff members to upskill them so they can be better, um, so they can be better equipped of, to dealing with those high intense moments, you know, where they have to deescalate kids and, and work with students. But on the mental health side of the house, that's that's kind of the other thing that that we're doing, right? There's two things that I'm kind of over and putting in the schools. One's the upskilling. The other one is the actual mental health support for kids. And, you know, the way that I see it, it's, it's more like a therapeutic hug. We're going to put a mental health, a licensed mental health professional in your school, right, on the ground, in your school, uh, working alongside your leadership team, your guidance counselors. And what they're going to do is they're going to take these ACEs and, and you know, in, in the clinical side of, of I'm, I'm learning so much, right? These are childhood trauma experiences that happen to children uh, sub subconsciously, sub some like right in your face, whether it's my parent, I had a parent that was shot and killed in front of me, like literally. Uh, that happens. Um, it's crazy, right? You, it's hard to think about. Um, or if it's a subconscious thing, like my dog, you know, died, um, you know, two years ago, but it's still lingering effect on me and I'm seven, right? So, you know, those types of things add up to childhood experiences and traumas. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll basically, uh, it's kind of like RTI, you know, when you do RTI, MTSS for academics, it's kind of the same thing that we do for for these childhood traumas. And our counselor takes a tier three, those critically at risk um, kids that uh, maybe they just got, uh, they were just Baker act, uh, Baker acted and and now they're coming back to school. So now we're going to take them, right? Your guidance counselor is going to take those students that she normally, or he normally meets with, right? Um, Right. Those tier two level kids. Um, So we're working alongside with the guidance counselor and the guidance teams and your behavior teams. And, and we're really providing that, that therapy, right? Because this is a licensed clinician. This isn't just someone to just go talk to. This isn't a a teacher, a former teacher that got their counseling degree and did some hours and, you know, um, it's not a guidance counseling. These are licensed therapists. They're here to help you improve, right? It's, uh, 
uh, it's pretty remarkable what we can do here with this. And, and, you know, whether the child needs it every day, whether the child needs it once a week, whatever that, that whatever the scope of service is required, that's what the therapist does. And then we put a behavioral support person on the ground as well. So we have the licensed mental health counselor, right? Um, therapist. And then we have the behavioral support person, uh, another you know person on the ground in the school that is responding, that's helping that behavior team, but they're trained in that response to those negative behaviors, right? They're trained on de-escalating the aggressive. They're trained on assisting with the room clears that we're seeing so often right now in K through three, you know, um, I mean, I, K through three, you know, wow. as an, as a former elementary principal also, like it was usually kindergarten. We would have a room clear every now and then we'd have a meltdown somewhere else. But right now, since the pandemic K through three is, you know, I'm hearing it more and more and more. I was just at a conference here in Orlando, um, at the, uh, C uh great city schools conference and speaking to superintendents and, and, and district leaders and, they're hearing it all the time now from their principals. They're room clear, room clear, room clear. Some principals doing two or three a day. Like, so this behavioral support person then works with the teacher, the student, right? And the behavioral team, your licensed mental health counselor on one side, doing the therapy that's necessary to improve the behaviors. Okay. And that, that's that therapeutic hug. They're getting it from both sides, the 360 degree hug. And the goal is outcomes. It's to get these behaviors under control. And we have the data to show it where no one else does. You know, we, we, there's, we have case studies on kids that, um, you know, that were major elopers. And then all of a sudden they stopped eloping. We have, you know, kids throwing things at teachers and now they're not throwing things. They're still maybe pushing books off the desk, but not throwing them at the teacher now. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's that progress being made with these kids. And again, it's not a magic bullet. It's, um, you know, it's certainly something that takes time, consistency, but is great, great, great for kids in schools. And like you just said, uh, I, you know, in the season we are in, we are, again, the, the pandemic has significantly accelerated this. And you're right, K-third um, students <coughs> are really have been impacted by the pandemic and to, to all uh, and earlier, you mentioned also the teacher shortage. So to all the district administrators, superintendent listening, mm -hmm. it's very important that one way or another, we're going to pay for it. The question becomes, is, do we provide the support to the teachers? Because usually teachers leave between their third, uh, yeah. within their first third year or fourth year. Because right. and, and number one uh, thing they cite is lack of support, lack of training. Mm -hmm. And so definitely having a licensed therapist, a, a licensed behavior person coming alongside, not only training them, upscaling mm -hmm. their training, but working alongside to help them improve and get that, to, get, to help those students really self-regulate and, and the learning mm -hmm. environment will improve student achievement and ultimately will address, I think, teacher shortages also because then yeah. more teachers will stay in the profession. So it is definitely, uh, uh, I think it's invaluable to, to all the leaders that are listening that either you're going to pay for it in the teacher turnover, right? You keep onboarding people and they're leaving in the back end uh, within three years, or we could really invest the money in the front end with, with support um, uh, both for to help students self-regulate and to support teachers in the classroom. Like you just said, it is critical and it's invaluable um, in the time right now that we are living in. So as we, uh, as, uh, as we wrap up, this interview and Jackson, I truly appreciate you coming on and sharing some of the sure. great innovative work that you're doing to support schools, to support principals. Um, you know, for, for those principals who, who are still uh, thinking, you know what, 
I'm looking, I might be looking for a shift in the next or a change in the next four to five years. What are some of the advice uh, you would share with an assistant principal, with a principal who might be looking to do something different or to shift, uh, to uh, to shift and do a little bit, a little bit something different? What are some of the strategies to set that they can begin to put in place? Well, I think that I was very blessed early on in having just opportunity to be at all different levels. You know, I've been a leader now in elementary, middle, and high school. I've had experience in traveling to other districts and supporting other schools in other districts, um, other states for that matter, and and then being successful at it and, and moving the schools and getting the schools to, you know, another level uh, academically and performance-wise, cultural, um, you know, driving those high-performance cultures and just really taking the time to grow myself in that um, with those experiences kind of set me up to being a quality candidate, I guess, uh, for other companies, if you will. And, you know, we have a very unique job, Gastard. I mean, if you think about this, you know, we, we're running, you know, teams of, you know, a hundred plus individuals. We're, we're running an, um, a financial institution that has 10 million or more, depending. I mean, if you're elementary, you might be about seven or 8 million, unless it's a really big school. But if you're at a middle school or high school, your budgets are around nine to 20 million, depending on how large your school is. I mean, these are, you're a CEO of a of a major multi million dollar company. If you think about it, with the amount of employees that you're managing, with um, you know all of the student safety, I mean, it's a big deal. The skill set of a principal today, it's a big deal. You have to come with a lot, with a lot, just a lot. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of energy. You, there's no down day. There's no downtime from the moment you take your phone off silence, because I learned that, by the way, that's a trick. Put your phone on silence for a little bit. <laughs> from the moment you take that phone off silence at five in the morning, it's going off. It's going off with people calling out. It's going off with, you know, some something, 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 something's happening, right? Something's so, happening. Something's happening to the, to, until you go to bed at night. And sometimes you get woken up because someone broke into the school. I've been there. So, I mean. <laughs> yes, I've had to listen, drive to school at four or five in the morning. <laughs> you're, as a principal, you're set up. There's no other way. If you're a successful leader in in your school systems and your buildings, and you're just you're set up already, um, you're practicing skill sets that can translate to just about any job market out there or other organizations. And you're actually a very qualified candidate if you really think about it. You know, so that's kind of uh, you know that would be my advice is to stay in the moment. Work hard on on growing yourself because if you grow yourself as a better leader, you're going to be better for your people, and um, and your your skill sets are going to grow. Uh, you know, so that's that's pretty much it. Thank you for sharing that. You are correct. We are CEOs of our buildings, and and, and there's a lot of skill set that we that are transferable to uh, mm-hmm. to a lot of major industries. So as as we wrap up, share uh, with us uh, with our listeners your favorite book or quote, and and why uh, why so. Can't never could because you didn't give a to try. S-H-I-T to try. I don't know if I can use profanity on your podcast, but I, I have to because from where I'm from, you know, that's a quote from my father. And that is my favorite quote. Uh, can't never could because it didn't give a S-H-I-T to try. <laughs>
Um, so, uh, yeah, he used to say that to my, my brothers and I all the time. Anytime we ever said the word can't, he's like, oh, uh, you know, can't ever could because you didn't try. So, you know, it's really that's kind of the mantra in the self house uh, forever, you know, from my dad. And uh, that's my favorite quote. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Again, thank you for coming on the podcast. We appreciate it. Tell uh, the listeners, those that are listening, how can they connect with you? Oh, gosh. You can. You know what? Can I send you some links too? I can pop over some info also. Um, I'll do that uh, when we wrap this up. I'll email it to you. And uh, But yeah, easiest way to reach me is jself, the letter J-S-E-L-F at invohealthcare.com. Um, so jself at infohealthcare.com and 954-805-6405. Send me a text. I'm great with text messages. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Jackson, for coming. I appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me today. Please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and a comment. Share this episode with a friend and on social media. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for leadership ideas and tips. Again, thank you for joining me today. Until next time.